0: For context, I'll start at verse 25. John's Gospel, chapter 3 and verse 25. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. When you see the word the Jews with a capital letter, that's referring to the establishment of It's not referring to all the populace of Jewish people. It's the leadership. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, that's Jesus, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, the Messiah, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives this testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. I wonder if one of these little glasses of water that I saw on the, behind me could just be with me because I'll need a little lubrication because I might even shout before the message is over. You know, we're in the last days. At such a time as you think not, your Lord will come. That's what he said. When you don't expect it, when you're least ready, a dramatic, a a, a, a whole world-changing shift of events will take place because the Lord Jesus Christ will return as he has most certainly promised. There's no argument about it. There may be debate about how and when, about the procedure of the rapture of the church, But concerning the certainty of the return of Jesus Christ, there is no doubt if you are a believer in him. He has also left us with a selection of signs to warn us of the era, of the season, that we might be ready. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that there are three groups of people. He said, there are those for whom suddenly there will be a great destruction. They will be crying peace and security, and sudden destruction will come upon them. They, he refers to them as they, as people outside the church. And he says, they are in darkness. But he says of the people like you at that time and all the way down through history to this very day, he says, you are the sons of light. And that day will not overtake you. Yes, there's a sense in which you need to know that it will be unexpected. But on the other hand, for those pursuing the Lord himself, for those in the word of God, it will not be a total surprise certainly for me it will not be i have been waiting for his coming from the 1970s and studying it and i am no less excited in fact i am all the more aware of the nearness of his coming when i see what is happening in the world a passage of scripture which is very is often used concerning this, is that the gospel will go to all nations. And it has been misinterpreted to mean every person in the world will have heard. That is not the case. But the nations, the national entities of humanity, will have been reached. Certainly, the national entities of humanity, as God decided them, which is a number 70, has been exceeded, I think we're at nearly 300 nations in the United Nations now. And all around the world, by good old-fashioned missionary practice, by the Internet, by all the different forms of media and all the accessories to that that were, are available, by satellite and by uh, one-to-one missionary contact, The gospel has reached the nations, folks. Listen to me. The gospel has reached the nations. In fact, some of the greatest opponents of Christianity, I think of China, have got some of the biggest populations of Christians in the world. So we need to be ready. I'm a prophecy teacher, therefore um, I have to say something about prophecy. I believe the passage is given to me later in the summer. I'm coming twice, two evenings later in the summer, looking at 2 Peter, and I think we'll get more into prophecy then. I just want to say that we're in the last days, and therefore what we as preachers teach and preach is vital. It has to be relevant. We can't be just fluffing about, thinking that any old psalm will do. We come to the people of God and we pass through and we give a message here and a message there and it doesn't matter. It does matter. We need to teach the vitals. Once again, we need to make sure that some fundamental truths are absolutely in the hearts of the people of God, grasped by them and able to be understood and explained to others. Because there is a battle for the truth of the Bible in these days. I chose John 3 for one verse, really. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. If you want to know something of the fatherhood of God, and we sang in one of the songs of that, if you want to know something of the fatherhood of God, you need to know the fatherhood relationship between God Almighty, Yahweh the Creator, and the Lord Jesus Christ, His Son. I say that, and it's particularly relevant in the city of Bradford. Because there are other religious books that say it is impossible that God should have a son. That warn Christians not to believe in the deity of Christ and his sonship with the Father. In total contradiction to, one, to the first letter of John chapter 2. Where he says that those who will not receive the Father and the Son... The truth of Christ's sonship and will not believe in his deity are Antichrist. The Apostle John is right. The other writers in other books saying that it is impossible for God to have a son are wrong. God has a son. The background that we have to understand that makes it all the more spectacular is that for the centuries, the decades, the, 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 the millennia beforehand, in the Old Testament, there is very little reference to God as Father. There is a little, but it's small. The main understanding of God's people, basically the Jewish people, the basic understanding of God's people was that he was great, mighty, distant, and powerful. And the sense of intimacy, a scripture like the Son Jesus as in the bosom of the Father, is shocking. That you could have such intimacy with with God was not for the general people, but for Moses, for David, for Daniel, They had these special relationships. And we, the ordinary people, were somehow on the outside and only reached God through intermediaries. That we should rest upon the Lord Jesus in intimacy, that we should be in him, and therefore we too in the bosom of the Father. The intimacy with Yahweh God, the Almighty, that created the universe the God of Genesis 1, 2, 3, and so on, that almighty creator God is our Father? We talk about it, but does it influence? Does it rule our lives that we have a Father? We have to look at the relationship between Jesus and God Almighty, because the problem is that all of us have an experience of fatherhood that is less than the biblical standard. I did have a good father, and he loved me and cared for me, but he made mistakes, as I did as a son. My wife lost her father when she was four years old, And until God really touched her heart, it had a very considerable impact on her life. Some of you have had fathers that abused you, that left the family home and disappeared over the horizon. Some of you may not even know who your father was. So we need to go to the Bible and we need to see that the father loves the son. That's the standard The Father, God Almighty, loved the Lord Jesus. And I will show you passages of scripture that make that abundantly clear from the mouth of God himself. And not only did he love the Son, he gave all things into his hand. The Father has delegated to Jesus Christ the authority and rulership of the universe. And he has made him the judge of all. We pick that up not only in the Gospels that the Father has committed all judgment to the Son, but in the book of Acts chapter 17, that he has committed judgment to the Son and he has ratified that by raising the Lord Jesus from the dead. There is no doubt, there is no doubt that all the authority and power of heaven is given to the one who is on the throne of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, of course, with Jesus on the throne of heaven, with the Lord Jesus having all the power of judgment committed to him, he is the one that the world resists, wants to wipe off the map, wants to make him just another man, maybe a prophet, but, you know, there are other prophets more important than him. Jesus Christ is the subject of malicious attack, Day after day. Some of it, if you'll excuse the phrase, being damned by faint praise. Oh yes, Jesus, he was a good man. Jesus was the son of God. And Jesus was God, the son. Our brother in, in leading the service said so rightly and appropriately that he was 100% God, fully God. And he was fully man fully a human being this is why Christianity cannot be fathomed just with the intellect you can have endless degrees PhDs doctorates you name it and still you will not fathom this how can he be a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man this is something not to be reasoned but something to be believed And when you enter it, as we did again in the song that we sang concerning faith, when you do it not by sight but by faith, you go, how wonderful a God we have. This is a God, Jesus Christ, who fulfills everything that the Almighty wanted him to do as a son. We can never understand our role and our position as sons of God. Now, you may notice that I have not used the phrase sons and daughters of God. That's because that's not the biblical way. The biblical way is to say that despite gender or irrespective of gender, we are sons. There is an equality in the body of Christ which says there's neither male nor female when you're in the presence of God. We are all sons, which is, of course, a masculine description. Just the same as we sang a beautiful song about being the bride of Christ. And every man in here has to appreciate he's not just got a feminine side, but he is part of the bride of Christ. Something that you sisters may have to teach us what it's like to be. Irrespective of our gender, we are part of the bride. And we are sons. So lay gender aside. Because the father does. And he looks at each one of us. And describes in the scripture. What our position is. As sons of God. You need to know you're a son of God. Because by knowing that simple truth. You will access. You will access. A deep, deep sense of Acceptance of love, of even power. I am a son of God. Yes. Another deep sense of being loved. A sense of being loved that heals us from the lack of love or from the alternatives to love that have come into our lives up until, in my case, 67 years. The love of the Father heals and seals. The scripture is very specific. The father loves the son, and he loves all the sons. At the baptism of Jesus, which you pick up in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17, at the, birth, at the baptism of Jesus, which was his 30th birthday, the Lord Jesus is presented to the world ready for ministry. He has not been public. He's been around, John tells us that, and there's one in your midst that you don't know. I'm not the Messiah, but there's one in your midst. It will not quite the time. But at his baptism, he is presented. The very dove, the Holy Spirit, comes upon him. And a voice comes from heaven. And what does the voice say? This is my beloved son. This is my son, the son of my love. God had wept so miraculously on the virgin, the young woman, Miriam, Mary, and by the Spirit of God had caused to be conceived within her womb the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest life that could be. And from that moment when life, divine life, entered into her womb. Until his ascension, a divine person was permanently on the earth. And prior to his ascension, he breathed into ten of the disciples that were there. Judas had fallen. Thomas was on an excursion somewhere. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And they are the vessel of divine presence on the earth for the next few days until Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit comes upon the whole church. And he still is in the church. Still in our bodies. We are still the temple of the Holy Spirit. And will be, until again, a favorite passage of mine which was read this morning. The Spirit and the bride say come. And when the Spirit and the bride's prayer of come is answered, he, the restrainer, will be taken away. The Holy Spirit will go back into heaven And conditions on the world will be pre-Pentecost, pre-church. The Holy Spirit will visit and he may touch and be upon people in the succeeding time. But the permanent presence of a divine person on the earth started with the Lord Jesus in the womb and finishes with the ascension or the rapture of the church to glory. And the significance is, that he permanently on the earth, the Holy Spirit of God and the Lord Jesus, are subject to the Father. There is no example in the scripture anywhere of the Father leaving the eternal glory and coming to the earth. He sends the Holy Spirit and he sends the Son. Even in the Old Testament, we have what are called theophanies or Christophanies, appearances of God in a humanoid form. You remember? the three who came to Abraham at the Terebinth tree in Mamre in Genesis 18, and he gives them a bit of a slap-up veal and bread and butter dinner. Do you remember this? He's in a human form. Or at Babel, where he goes down to visit. And then later it says, we go down. So it would appear the first is the Holy Spirit goes down, and then the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus visit to see what is happening at this crucial point in human history. Even equally crucial, I think, to prior to the fall. Because if God had done what he had done then, if he had not given us the mercy, if he had given us the judgment as a human race, what we deserved back then, we wouldn't exist. The whole thing would have been wiped out. But in his mercy, he divided the human race. In his mercy, he did not reveal fatherhood. He split the human race. And so they weren't able to cooperate in evil together. They were now in competition, in contest with one another, and have been all millennia since. Except for the last 200 years, what have we seen? Cooperation. Globalism the English language, all around the earth. The answer is that they are now trying, the world is now trying to reverse Babel. And you know, God will allow it to happen. The reason that he brought Babel there in the first place was that he wanted to call out of the Gentiles, the people for himself, to give time for Repentance. You know, I've said before, probably I've said it when I've preached here, the grace of God is infinite, but the time to access that grace is not infinite. It is limited. And now for the human race. In the last days, a boundary, a final red line is laid where the human race will come to a point and God will say enough is enough. The spirit and the bride say come. Notice it does not say the spirit says come and the bride says come. It's a simultaneous call of the spirit of God through the bride, through the body of Christ, through the church. And the spirit of God is required by the church to ask anything of God in power. They are speaking in union and unison. Come. And that then terminates. And until that time, God has given an opening to people like you and me to know him as father and not know him as judge. And so at the beginning of the ministry of the Lord Jesus, he says, this is my beloved son. He gives this mark of approval on Jesus. And you and I don't know what had gone on since he was an infant, but God knew and God approved. He was perfect. In the eyes of God. He was his beloved son. His well beloved. You and I had one little glimpse. When he was 12. And his parents took him up as part of the ritual. To the temple. And then they kind of lost him for a bit. You Remember? So he goes and they go back. And they pick up Jesus. And he says, I had to be about. Whose business? My father's business. Jesus knew this from an early age and this whole period of his life of the hidden years up until he was 30, apart from that little glimpse, the whole of these years are covered by God saying, this is my beloved son. There was nothing disapproving, nothing sinful, nothing that came even within a whisper of disobedience. And then his life goes on. We have during his life, during his ministry, when he cries out to God in John 12. He cries out in John 12. We know it's to God, but he doesn't specifically direct it. They're just his cry, glorify your name. And the father says, I have glorified it. <laughs> I've glorified again. His father speaks to him. And then, of course, at the end of Jesus' ministry, pick it up in Matthew 17, 1 to 8, on the Mount of Transfiguration, what happens? The beginning of his ministry, this is my beloved Son. At the end of his ministry, the same thing. This is the Son of my love. But he adds two words, hear him. This is my beloved Son hear him giving now the approval of all of jesus public ministry all that he said and did god approved of the father loves the son and has committed all things into his hand at the beginning of his ministry through his ministry and at the end of his public life The Lord God Almighty, Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth, says to one human being, and he's only ever said it to one human being, Jesus Christ, you are fully approved of. You are the son of my love. Hear what this man has to say. That's what he's saying. Divine approval. You and I know that He had committed judgment to the Son, and I need just to briefly talk about that. Psalm 96 says he is coming. Hallelujah. And then it repeats, it says he is coming to judge the earth. He didn't judge it at Babel. He spared it. He didn't judge it post-Calvary. He said on a new era of Pentecost, not only did he hold back, The judgment that was due, that's mercy. He dispensed grace and gave something that we hadn't earned. Grace. And in this era, these last two millennia, grace has reached us. From the darkest place that we were, when we sang of it this morning, my heart was touched, I knew, I remembered the darkness, where I was before I met Jesus. And I rejoiced, because he took me out of that darkness, out of that dunghill, that sewer that I was in. And he washed me and cleansed me, and he set me on a path to follow him, which I still walk. But not alone, I walk with the precious woman that he has put into my life. The fatherhood of God is very practical. You see him working with Jesus. He has given the son all that he needs. And he has made him the judge of all. And so when he comes to look at my account and your account, do you know what? In the column for judgment, it's blank. Because as we already said this morning, Jesus took our judgment He took the wrath of God. We can pick that up in Thessalonians, that we are not to sit under the wrath of God. We have escaped the wrath of God because God's wrath and judgment has rested on Jesus and will rest on Jesus for all who believe. You and I are familiar with the book of Revelation, chapter 3, the church of Laodicea. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Remember that verse? And we have, it's actually a verse addressed to the church. It's a church, a type of church and an era of church life, which I believe is now, when Jesus Christ is on the outside of the church, as is the case throughout the world. So many churches have got the name, they've got the words, but they haven't got the person. And he stands outside and he knocks to come in. But I have, and I'm sure others of you have spoken of it as... Jesus knocking on the heart to come in. And I, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong in us doing that. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any of you will open, I will come in and sup with him. I'll have fellowship with you. The Apostle John writing of the door says the judge is standing at the door. It's wonderful to know the love and fatherhood of God. To see how the father loves the son and expresses that love for the son. How the father is loved by the son and the son shows obedience to the very last dot, jot and tittle of everything of the law of God. And he lives by it and he pleases God. Remember that was a difficult life to live in the first century Israel under the law. But he lives it in perfection. And God sends him as judge because he is the only perfect one as a human being. Don't think that he called upon his divine resources not to sin. He did not sin in his humanity. It's unbelievable. Only, believe, only can be received by faith. Because if you and I think about it, how long could you or I go without sinning? He went 33 and a half years. Any advance on that? No. So God makes him the judge. So the church of Laodicea and individuals need to know that when he stands knocking, there are two alternatives. To receive him by faith as savior. And if you don't receive him by faith as savior, you are most certainly going to know him as your judge. Now, I do not know this church. Well, I know it a little, but there are many faces here. I don't know your faces. And I know that the potential is that each and every one of you could come to the realization that you are a son of God. I will divide you into two categories Three categories, those that don't really need to pay attention much to what I'm saying. You know it better than I do. You have a complete sense of you know your sonship before God. Praise the Lord. Then a number of people who kind of know these things, but you need to be assured, you need to be encouraged. You need to hear me say to you, your father loves you, and he's declaring to you, you're a beloved son. You're in the bosom of the firstborn son. Everything that he has for the firstborn son, Jesus, he has for you. The love that he has for Jesus is the love that he has for you. He doesn't have his Jesus compartment of love and his church compartment of love. He just has the love that he has for his family. You're loved by the eternal creator. Forget how you've been loved on earth no matter how wonderful and perfect that love may have appeared, you are loved by a far more powerful and greater love than that now. And it's to realize that. Not just to realize it when Brian is preaching and we're all cozy here in the church, but to realize it throughout the coming week. My father loves me. And then there are those of you who wonder, what on earth is the boy talking about? fatherhood, sonship, what's this to do with God? And if that is your reaction, beloved, that's understandable. And I'm not judging or criticizing you, but I'm telling you there is something better. There is something better. There is salvation available in the Lord Jesus. He has done all the work. He did it on the cross. God, the Holy Spirit, is present in this room To work, and to work on your heart if you do not know him. Particularly if you've been religious for many, many years, but yet there's something missing. And he wants to know you. And he wants to know you personally. And I often say when I'm speaking to people, have you got a better alternative to give me than Jesus? What has your God got that my God hasn't? I've yet to get an answer that will convince me. I'm not swapping gods. Uh, I got saved when I was 21 in a university vacation. He touched my life and he turned me around. When I went back, I had such a reputation that the members of the Christian Union, when they saw I came there, warned people, be careful of this guy. And I can understand why. But there were two or three brothers who took me under their wing And taught me the word of God. I came to know that not only was the Lord Jesus my savior. In a kind of one-off explosion of glory and excitement and cleansing. But that for the rest of my life I was part of the family of God. And I began this wonderful journey of knowing and exploring the fatherhood of God. And knowing I was a son. And it's brought me to this place today. And I will read to you this passage again, it's from Dear John, it's in 1 John chapter 3. Verse 1. Some of you, I just need to, before I read this, some of you may be under, I was going to say under a curse, and it is that, but I don't want you to think it was some kind of occulty thing. You might be under just a shadow because your dad let you down. He didn't love you the way you wanted to be loved, you expected to be loved, you deserved to be loved. He might have been one of these chaps whose emotions were all tied up, and he couldn't hug you couldn't freely express something it took many 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 years for my father who was homophobic because of a, an attack against him as a young man he did not let me hug him not until he was much older praise the lord he you know he got comfort from my hugging him when he was dying but you can have all these bad experiences and they're so varied, I'll not try and tick them off one by one. But just say, whatever your negative experience of dad was, your heavenly Abba father, that intimate expression of love, that Aramaic name for God that, that has, and rightly so, has been translated as dad, daddy, or whatever, that you need to know that's who he is. And I've used the phrase numerous times, holding you to his bosom, because you can't get more intimate than that. Held tight to the Father. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Behold what manner of love. Look at it from every angle. It sparkles like the biggest diamond ever found, the love that the Father has bestowed on us, given us freely. He has loved us out of his heart. We didn't do an exchange. We love him because he first loved us. He first loved us without anything in return, without expecting anything in return. He loved us. And he loved us so much that God so loved the world that he gave us his son. That's wonderful, isn't it? That's beyond description. This little Scottish mutt, God took him in exchange for Jesus Christ. How can it be? How can it be? But it's true. It's true. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed we shall be like him for we shall see him As he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Brothers and sisters, we have a hope. We are the children of God. I have four children. I love them equally but differently. I'm not leaving one of them behind in my will or in my thinking. How many grandchildren? We have twelve grand we have twelve we have twelve grandchildren on earth and two or three already in glory that were miscarried. I love them all. I'm not leaving any of them out. I want them all. There's not one that I wouldn't that I don't miss. They happen to live in America. There's not one that I don't miss. There's not one that I don't pray for. That's the Father that we have in heaven, you know. There's not one of us left out of his affections. Not one of us left out of his care. And he wants you to know this morning, just a simple thing, I love you. The Father loves the Son. The Father loves the sons, male and female. And he's put everything into our hand to serve Jesus. He is coming soon and we'll see it all. You read what I read there. When he comes, we'll see Jesus as he is and we will be like him. Will it not be truly wonderful? It will. Amen. Almighty God, Yahweh, our creator and king, we thank you that the Lord Jesus said, I ascend to my God and your God to my father and your father. Father, he even taught us to pray. Say, our Father, who is in heaven. Yes, you are our Father. Almighty God, it's not just a name or a title. It's the name of a precious, sweet, and powerful relationship into which you have called us. And we bow down in worship. How can it be? And we are grateful this morning that your word is available to us. We are grateful this morning that by your Holy Spirit the door of heaven is open and we have entered in. And at your feet we bow. Father, representing the body of Christ here, these are your precious people. And I pray, Almighty Father, that the richness of your blessing of being a father, caring for your people, nurturing your people, feeding them and protecting them in every way, Father, I pray that that blessing may be their experience in this coming week. Draw near to your people one by one. Lifting them in your arms. Holding them to yourself. Setting them on their walk this week. Under your protection and care. Confident of your provision. and The fulfillment of all the promises that you have given. May each saint seated here, listening, receive such a blessing. And for any who do not yet know your Son Jesus personally as Savior, open the heart, touch them, I pray, that they might know him and all his glorious benefits of love. Father, we ask these things confidently in the precious name of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. Amen.